Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 455 is recorded live July 9th, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. We're joining you this week. We have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? Oh, I am whipped, but I'm glad to be here. Diving, diving, diving crazy up here in northern Michigan. Coming to you, t- t- you tonight from the harbor at Mackinac Island. That is a great place. I have not been up there to go diving, but I've certainly been there a few times to visit and look around. It's a great place to come and visit when you're in Michigan. It's one of those places where there's there's no place else like it in the world. Well, and we tried it this time by uh, coming out on the boat and staying in the uh, DNR uh, boat slips. And overall, been quite pleased with it. You know, we got access to showers and uh, there's a grocery store in, on the island. Of course, you're, you know, you're paying island prices, but hey, look, what, look where you are. Um, got you know we're surrounded by great diving i don't know we just came in from diving the uh eber ward in sandusky cool i recommend this here to anybody that's why we picked it for a part of our honeymoon <laughs> so i'd like to thank everybody who's come in the chat room tonight it must be getting uh days are getting a little bit shorter now uh, people are joining in we have our, some of the old diehards we have dave and derek and karen joining us and so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Some of these articles were from last week. We ran last week a little bit short just because of uh, internet fun that we get to have. This seems to be more and more often. Uh, this is a follow-up. Whiskey galore, scotch salvage from the shipwreck for auction. A rare bottle of sunken scotch salvage from a shipwreck that inspired the whiskey galore could fetch 10,000 pounds at auction. The bottles recovered from the wreck of the SS politician off the shores of Oriski in the outer Herbrides. After it ran aground in bad weather in 1941, there are 28,000 cases of whiskey on board. The cargo ship as it broke off and fell beneath the waves. With many of the remaining bottles on board going down with it, the salvage operation by Islanders was immortalized by Compton McKenzie and his 1947 novel, Whiskey Galore, it was adapted for cinema in 1949 and again in 2016. Sellers from the Grand Whiskey Auction are currently accepting offers on the rare bottle with the current highest bid of 85,000 pounds. Oh, 8,500. 85,000, that'd be a heck of a lot. 8,500 pounds. The bottle is recovered by George Courier. I say Courier, Courier, C-U-R-R-I-E, director of the uh, Curry Brothers Limited while working in the subsea cable repair. The team located the wreck and drams found, including Balatini's, a VAT 69, and four bottles of Gibby's. Mr. Curry from Kirkwall, Orkney, said, as you can see from the faces, it was a dram good day of diving. Sorry for that. Uh, 
Bo Wallace, director of the Grand Whiskey Auction, said this is an incredible opportunity to own a piece of whiskey history. This is an exciting time for everyone, the Grand Whiskey Auction, and we are expecting interest from bidders worldwide seeking to aid this rare bottle to their collection. At auction in 2013, a pair of bottles from the SS politician went for 12,050 pounds. The 8,000-ton SS politician was bound for Kingston in Jamaica and New Orleans when it foundered near Risky. The crew was rescued unharmed, and much of the whiskey was salvaged by islanders against maritime salvage laws. Because no duty had been paid on the whiskey, members of HM Customs and Excise prosecuted those who removed the cargo. I got to wonder, this is like Jamaica. This is major pirate territory. Whiskey and not rum? Come on. Where's the rum? Yeah. Yeah, I, I have not read the book or seen either of the movies, but that's probably worth taking a peek just to see. Jamaica, that's like pirate territory. You know, that's where, you know, Kingston and used to be Port Royal. You know, this is the uh, heart of... Um, Oh, the late 17th century, early 18th century uh, golden age of piracy was rooted in this area. And pirates like rum. Of course, if I take whiskey, you know, I don't care. But I'm not real picky. As long as it's got an alcohol content, I'm sure you find an, an audience for it. Yeah, rum, grog, any of the above here. Yeah. Hawaiian crew goes on a 48-day expedition, sets record for the largest haul of plastic removed from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Plastic became a globally mass-produced product 65 years ago, and since then, the amount of plastic we use has skyrocketed. So has the pollution. In 2015, 387 million tons of plastic were produced compared to 2 million manufactured in 1950. The staggering overconsumption of this material is a huge effect on the environment, with our oceans suffering the worst of all. With an estimated 8 million pieces of plastic pollution finding their way in the ocean every day, which adds up to 5.25 trillion pieces that are currently there. Uh, the Ocean Voyages Institute vessel came back after a 48 day expedition, successfully moving 103 tons or uh, 206,000 pounds of trash from the Pacific Ocean. They estimate that plastic waste results in the death of 100 million marine animals annually. Estimated that by 2050, that it will greatly outnumber the fish in the ocean. Without a doubt, uh, it's res- uh, responsible for half the world's ocean, our excessive plastic consumption. Uh, luckily, there are people who are trying to put a stop to this by cleaning the mess. Crew has set a new record of the largest sea cleanup in the Geyer to date. Uh, on June 23rd, Ocean Voyages Institute Marine Plastic. Sometimes you wonder if these articles are just written by logarithms. You give it a few phrases and it just grinds them out. Yeah, I think they do try to keep it going and they space the uh, the ads appropriately as well. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some good pictures in it. Though. That's how I like to see the pictures. You like to see the evidence. It's one thing to just to talk about it and it's another to pull it up. And uh, it looks like a lot of this is nets. I mean, just a huge amounts of nets. Uh, There's another organization. What's that? There's a lot of nets out there. Yeah. Uh, There's another organization, the one that put that boom that they were trying to use to collect. Uh, They've got some 
interceptors are starting to put in rivers to collect the plastic at the source. And one thing that they have been doing also is they've been taking the waste, they're taking the like the nets, and then they sort them and they do an analysis to figure out what they're made of. And they were actually sending it out to be processed and it it ends up coming back as uh, material that can be recycled into other products. So I thought that was an interesting use. Well, I'm sure the majority of what's in those nets is plastic and plastic generally is recyclable. You know, not all of it, yeah. but generally. As, as long as you can identify it. And the, the one I was seeing is they had scanners and they would actually, they could touch it to it and it would tell it what type of plastic it was. Yeah. Some, so some good photos there. We'll have those photos in the show notes for everybody who wants to follow along. I may along. have to mute my speaker here. Um, looks like the last boat is coming in. And it's been our experience. The last boat coming to the harbor is blasting karaoke. And I really don't want to damage our listeners here, you know. But uh, <laughs> it's really bad. When it, it looks like our last boat's coming in the harbor. If it gets too bad, I'll, when, I'll mute it. When you say he, they're blasting karaoke, I mean, is it like that's their what they do? I mean, it's like they come in and then it's all karaoke night? It's like the last boat of the night that comes in. I think it's on the, uh, oh, it must be on the uh, star line. It's like a party cruise. And oh. you can hear the karaoke across the water. And it, if they were good at it, it wouldn't be too bad, you know. But it seems like every night it's Love Shack, you know, and, you know, about four or five octaves <laughs> off, you know. And it's... <laughs> Yeah, you know, they must have had some complaints because it's going on, but it's not as obnoxious as it has been past you now. Don't get me wrong; this has been—it's, it, you know, waking up in the harbor here has been pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> when the karaoke boat goes through, it's uh, one of those things. Once you've heard it, you can't unhear it, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, well, you're experiencing karaoke. We'll go to the next one, which is a shipwreck off the Scottish coast. Turns out to be a dumped fridge freezers. The RNLI had issued a warning for a two-fidge freezers were dumped in the water off the Alberdeen and mistaken for wreckage. Reports of the wreckage in the small harbor in Cove, five miles south of the city, were made at 8.20 on Tuesday. The crew of six of Servan-class Bon Accord vessel were at the scene 25 minutes later with a Y-boat daughter craft also deployed. Assisted by the HM Coast Guard, they're able to secure the appliance on the deck and return to the Alberdeen. The Alberdeen life crew, lifeboat crew also had to break from social distancing rules to attend the call with Coxwin Dave Orr critical of the risk posed by their find. He said, whoever dumped these fridges showed a casual disregard for their environment, sea safety, and also caused significant waste of search and rescue funds and resources. Fridges float and they can drift a long way. These items could easily have holed a small vessel and caused a real emergency at sea. Our crew also had to break from social distancing rules to tend the call with the associated risks. The freezers, the fridges were bulky and awkward to bring on deck, but needed to be recovered to avoid other incidents. We will always be ready to respond to any report of concern for safety at sea. We will also lessen tonight's false alarm will strike home. People dumping that in the water. Okay, I mean that is just lame. Okay, I mean, and it's 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 astounding how many people are doing this. I mean, when we were up at Marquette last week, we uh, bumped into a group of divers up there uh, that were getting ready for a uh, 
a harbor cleanup ecology dive coming up next week. And they were out there, they were tagging stuff to make it easier to find if the visibility was bad. And they're tagging refrigerators and freezers. The guy told me they had eight fridges out there in the Marquette Harbor. And the problem is, is that they get them out of there and there's more. There's people are continuously dumping the stuff in the river. And, and, and it's not like, you know, ancient stuff they're finding from the 50s and all that. Some of these things were relatively modern fridges and freezers out there. People just dump the stuff out there. I don't know. I see anybody doing that off, off their boat. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a few props that night. I'll tell you that. So yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> Well, well, let's go ahead and jump in that next article because that's uh, what we had on the docket. A few down the road, uh, this one from the Mining Journal: Second underwater cleanup to take place out of Marquette. Over four tons of tires removed from Madison Lower Harbor in August of last year in a public underwater cleanup. This year, the goal is to pick up all the remaining tires still anchored at the bottom of Lake Superior. The second annual Marquette Lower Harbor Underwater Cleanup will take place from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. July 18th at Madison Lower Harbor Park. Volunteers are needed to help lend a hand when the team of divers uh, bring those hundreds of tires to the harbor wall surface, event organizer Don Fassbender said. Getting the gunk and junk out of the lake is what we want to do. Hopefully this will be the last year we'll have to do it, at least with the tires. Fassbender said there will always be Wrappers and garbage thrown in the lake and cans, but the larger items I'm hoping we're done with this year. Fast Bender, a videographer, began his own water cleanup initiatives a couple of years ago when he visited a new area to scuba dive and document his finding with his YouTube videos. The more people that piped up, the grander the idea, and I decided, okay, we're going to try and do something at a larger scale. After contacting the city and a few public departments to arrange public Underwater cleanup event, Fastbender said it was like a grassroots moment. Uh, movement. Last year's cleanup created some buzz in Marquette community. Also brought in faces from across the country to help remove the tires from the bottom of Lower Harbor. This year is no different with over 30 divers coming from all over, including Oklahoma, South Carolina, Indiana. Even though last year's event filled a 30-yard garbage container, a lot of the tires remain in the harbor, especially large tractor tires. Moving the tires from the lake is critical because last year's event showcased that invasive species latch onto those tires, such as zebra mussels. It's important to preserve the quality of the lake and protect it from harmful substances. Tires leach toxins in the water. It's a a carcinogen. There's nasty things in the rubber. That's why they won't let you burn them either and why you need special process to get rid of this stuff. It's not good for the environment, but it's a petroleum-based product that's not good for the water. That's the water we drink, Fassbender said. In advance, divers will collect the tires and put them in the groups, which is important for the entire underwater cleanup process because once you pull a tire out of the muck, you can't see anything. On the day of the event, a bulk of the work will already be finished. Once the tires are hauled out of the water and the, with a backhoe tractor, volunteers will be needed to roll the tires into a garbage container in the park. It's just a fun thing to watch people do this, and they can bring some rubber boots and gloves and some shoulders. By all means, we can put them to work. You know, it's a heck of a visual, so it might pound things into people's heads that they don't want to destroy our waters. We want to try and keep it clean. And they see all things that other people left in the water. I think they'll get the idea. The more people continue to pollute the water, the worse it will be, Fassbender said, adding that he hopes the event will increase education on water pollution, how important it is to protect the water for future generations. And then uh, you can visit Diver Don Scuba on Facebook to sign up. Yeah, actually. Yep, I hear you now. Okay. Odd. Did, yeah, did you just, have to? I, 
I rebooted the app. I rebooted the phone, and uh, then I just came in, and that's what I heard. So I'm, I'm back now, but hope it's okay. not going to be too much of a distraction here. But no, no, it's hopefully I can. I'm paying enough attention when I edit to catch the long, odd silence in the middle of the show. But sometimes I don't. It becomes a feature. Becoming a feature tonight. <laughs> so. It, so you, you were up in Marquette. Was uh, uh, did you hear me uh, go through the article? Yes, I actually I was trying to chime in a little bit here and there. And that's when I then all of a sudden you were gone. But uh, I heard you go through the article for Marquette. So, uh-huh. which article are you going to go through next? Uh, we'll do the ne- the next one. Will be uh, scuba divers pull fifteen hundred pounds of trash from northern Nevada. Okay, so I, I shared of- that link previously yep. okay so that's link is in the uh, chat already there cool yeah yeah yep. we, we and, were, uh, go ahead we we were in marquette for a week and uh actually i met the guys doing this and they are a good bunch you know they were out there uh last week getting stuff all tagged and ready to go because you know they couldn't had didn't have the manpower to, to pull it out at that point and they were the people people to get rid of it either but uh yeah don fassbender is a real good guy um He's, uh, you know, put a lot of effort into this, and he's kind of a natural for it. Yeah, I, I love that photo they have of him. I think that's him there in front of the, uh, I don't know, call him, loader. Yeah. Yeah, let me take a look at it there. I, I met him the other day. I, I recognize the name. So, and, and it's interesting when you see somebody doing this is it's, is it's hard to associate where you know him from. Because while he's known for this, I'm sure we know him from many other things. It looks like him, but it's hard to say. You know, with the mask on there, it's a little bit difficult. Plus, that's a you know an older style mask. So I think he's probably worn that mask just mm-hmm. for PR. Most of us don't wear those big old yeah. portals anymore. No, it kind of has that classic look. Well, you know, that's what the public thinks of us. You know, they think we're all doing Jacques Cousteau and uh, what is it? Uh, yeah. Oh, who's who's the guy? The, um, what Lloyd Bridges mask there? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sea hunt. Sea With um, so in northern Nevada, they have a clean up the lake, which is a nonprofit featuring a team of more than a dozen scuba and diving professionals. Now I wonder what they mean when they say scuba and diving. Do the scuba divers don't dive or the divers don't scuba? Maybe they're free divers. Since July 2018, they've been pulling trash out of Lake Tahoe and Donner Lake with items as small as water balls, as large as tires and sunken boats. Between both bodies of water, the cleanup of the lake has pulled out over 1,500 pounds of trash. More recently, they focused their efforts on a popular parts of Donner Lake, a three-mile span of Donner Lake. They pulled out about 700 pounds of trash. When I drop down 15 to 20 feet, I sit on my knees at the bottom. I can almost grab a 12-pack of beer cans in one area or seven to eight plastic cups or tons of potato chip bags, explained West on the amount of trash he saw at Downer Lake during his cleanup. Following the 4th of July weekend, West and his team renewed their efforts to clean up some of the more problematic parts of Downer Lake. West hopes people realize how much trash can hide beneath the surface in local waters and how much role they can play in the issue. It's nice to know we're actually using our energy towards something that needs to be done, but at the same time, it's just freaking sad root, reasoned West, who fears the trash will continue to pile up even after multiple cleanups. It is lasting. It is going to be clean next summer. After we finish this, is it going to be dirty again? It's hard to tell. 
Yeah, we used to see that in the uh, St. Jorber with the Mug Club dive, too. Mug Club Ecology Dive that, you know, we get out there and take out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of steel and tires and all kinds of other crap. And, mm-hmm. you know, six months later, it's all back, you know, but yeah, at least, at least we got that stuff out that we, that we could. Yeah. And what people don't realize is even if you didn't throw it in the water, if you did not take care of it, that's where it can end up when it rains or floods. I mean, that's our natural uh, wash ways for uh, overflow water and, you know, stuff that's heavy will, will sink and settle. And even stuff that's light will eventually get caught up, uh, you know, that. Mylar, you know, those uh, kind of the plasticish type material. Everyone seems to think that plastic floats, but no, I mean, unless you have air embedded in the plastic, plastic sinks, we see a ton of that on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, tons of it. And it's all over. And then this next one is a, and this one's worth a listen. I don't know, Kevin, if you had a chance to listen to this one. But uh, it is experience a nightmare scuba diving near an unseen echo. Uh, said uploaded last year, but uh, gaining traction now thanks to a recent post from a Reddit user. The video claims a diver's newfound trauma source originated from a submarine, but multiple comments from alleged seamen claim it's actually coming from a was it Arleigh Burke class destroyer warship, which totally makes it less terrifying. So check out the video be forewarned. It's unnerving and loud. Yeah, and it is. It's uh, you know, sound travels underwater and sonar, that's what they're hoping it will do. But you know, you, you may fill a wetsuit or a dry suit for that matter when you uh if if you're under and and you heard that, because in the video you can hear the what we're accustomed to when we watch dive videos, you can hear the regulators and you know, bubbles moving around and you know, some of the sea life making slight noises, but uh, it it pierces and cuts to the water when that sonar goes off. Dave says, uh, notice one of the divers is a very old uh, uh, skinny dipper computer. <laughs> now, that's one I'm not familiar with. Uh, Mac would be able to help us with that, but I'm, I'm taking it that's an older style. But... Uh, yeah, we'll have we'll have that in the show notes. You'll want to take a a listen to that and uh, then decide. In it says from Orca, he thinks. Uh, but that that makes you wonder. Uh, you know, you know, are there certain places where they they don't play that? Because I I would not want to be out just diving and you know that, that might be a little piercing. I'm sure there's even the potential for some hearing damage. Well, wasn't there, I don't know, an article at one point, there, there's belief that uh, some of that military sonar is what causes whales to freak out and drown themselves? I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe I should even be spreading that. I'm, that's been uh, a popular complaint uh, with some environmental groups, but you figure how well sound travels underwater. And if the military, I'm sure they have a variety of settings that they have. And there may be when they're out in the middle and what they consider to be nowhere and they're working really hard or testing it out, there's no telling what volumes and sounds they will use. And I'm I'm sure that underwater creatures' ears are tuned for it a little bit better than ours. So I would not be surprised if there were ways of making it extremely loud than 
that would cause damage or upset somebody. Well, yeah. I think most of us have heard, you know, like when a, a bass fisherman goes overhead, you hear that pit, 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 pit from the, you know, bass fishing. Well, the regular fish finder is still not. Mm-hmm. I'm sure what the military is doing is, you know, infinitely more fun. Yeah. And then here's one where a scuba diver was hooked while diving and then reeled to the surface. Orange Beach, Alabama, J.T. Thompson was about 17 miles off Orange Beach doing a little spearfishing while diving the Lulu when he was hooked literally. We had a snapper on a spear and myself on a hook. He can laugh at it now. I felt my neck jerk and immediately grabbed to see what it was. I knew exactly what it was. He had pulled a circle hook from his neck. Uh, The fishing had been good on the Lulu, which is a 270-foot freighter sunken in 2013 as a fishing and dive reef. We are actually the only boat when we pulled up our dive flag, everything by the book. We had two other boats come up. As we were sitting there, essentially told us we were going to wait. When we were going down doing our thing, we would drop. uh, They would drop afterwards. Anglers and divers often share the same water but recommend 200 feet from the dive flag. We just had shot a snapper, and we were getting ready to pull him in and get him on the stringer when I felt this guy go up to my neck he says holding the hook and sinker that he was keeping as a souvenir thompson was 100 feet down when he got hooked it wasn't his only his neck there were circle hooks in his hand and his scuba gear when he removed one of the hooks it hooked to the hose of his regular pulled it out of his mouth meanwhile it's steadily being pulled to the surface the boat started to back off the wreck they thought they had a nice fish on he grabbed the primary regulator from his dive buddy will clark Clark started using a secondary regular. In a matter of seconds, both were on the surface. The both left without ever making contact with the divers. I've caught many fish but never planned on getting caught, said Thompson. But I can say now I know how it feels. Thankfully, I also knows how it feels to be the one that got away. Thompson wanted his story out to remind folks the rules and regulations are there for a reason. A little common sense goes a long way. He says he only had mild symptoms of decompression sickness. Is already planning to go diving again on Friday. Yeah, because I was going there that, you know, he's down 100 feet and he gets forcefully yanked to the surface. I mean, if yeah. he was close to being in, in deco, uh, that, that that could be a, a life-threatening situation there. And, I mean, were these guys, you know, staying 200 feet away from the dive flag? I mean, we see it all the time. But people don't understand that. And, I mean, how, how are you hooking these guys if you're not violating that 200-foot radius from the dive flag? Well, what it sounded like is that he talked to a couple that when he got there, there were a couple other boats that were just pulling up and he told them what they were going to do. And they said, well, we'll wait. So my guess is that there was a latecomer boat who just decided that, yeah, they're good. They were going to go fish. Well, yeah. Go fish or not. Did they have the dive flag up or not? You know, if you have the dive flag up, I mean, anybody who's running a boat in, in public waters, you know, is supposed to know what those flags mean. Obviously they, they don't, but I don't know. Let me if, this guy pulls a regular in my mouth or, you know, even just putting hook holes in my dry suit, I'm going to be a little ticked, you know? So I'm thinking about getting me some, 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 some props again here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It gives me all sorts of ideas. The thing that you, of course he, he didn't have the chance there because the, the prop wasn't close enough when he got out, but it makes you think there may be a, that's when you come up to the boat and you pull the uh, plug out and toss it to the guys, you know? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I would toss it to them. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd pull it out. They're going to have to run that uh, bilge and get the moving. 
It depends on the boat that might not even work. We might have a, have a new wreck dive, you know? So, <laughs> well, I know that something like this happened to Ted, you know, guy in our club. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, oh, diving off the uh, pier in St. Joe. And I guess some guys uh, managed to snag his flag. And now you're not supposed to have your flag, you know, attached to your body, but a lot of divers end up putting it, you know, on a, a sling or a reel and then having that beaner to the body, which is not a good idea. Apparently when they, they, they snagged his flag and they pulled him up out of the water and uh, gave him a real hard time for, for, you know, diving in their fishing zone. Oh, yeah. but, uh, I know Ted's a lot nicer guy than I. So. Yeah. I've, there's, there's, uh, yeah, I've, I've had a few run in with fishermen and they can get a uh, pretty nasty, you know, for one thing, is they, is they feel like as soon as they show up, they own everything. Yep. So who cares that I was in the water first and I'm, you know, I've got my buoy and stuff, and then they're You're complaining that. You're with my fishing rights, yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't know, but we got rights to be out there as well. And then here we have one, a man in a scuba suit, which uh, looking at the photos is a wetsuit. Uh, nearly drowns in Clyde Bank Canal trying to rescue a stranger's phone. James Man, uh, Magan told the Post a passerby going over the bridge on his bike yesterday morning dropped his 1,200-pound phone, and it fell straight into the water. James' pal Eddie, known as Scuba Steve. <laughs> Why couldn't it be Scuba Eddie? Okay. Scuba Steve offered to rescue the phone. The Good Samaritan rushed home, grabbed his dive gear, and quickly returned before entering the canal in a bid to trace the device. James 36 said he didn't get that far out. He's only in for a minute, started drowning because he got tangled in all the weeds. I had to go to the edge and get a grip of him and help him out along with another person who was walking by. I thought he was having a laugh at first, but he started going under. He could have died. If he was further out, I would have had to jump in. I wouldn't have left him. Uh, Eddie, 52, who goes deep sea diving when he's aboard, said he had just was just keen to help this person who had lost their phone. James now wants to share the memory of hope of stopping children jumping in the canal during periods of warm weather. He added, it's dangerous. There could be death in there. I've seen kids jumping in before. I want to let people know about this so kids are not jumping in over the holidays. So what it looked like he did is he grabbed a, a wetsuit so that he would be dry. Uh, I'm not even seeing a snorkel. He had a mask on. So... I imagine he was probably just breath holding going down because, Hey, it's just a river and it's pretty shallow. Uh, and it sounds like he isn't actually a diver, but uh, I'm not seeing any tanks or regulators or BC. And that would have definitely made a difference. You can, you can easily get uh, uh die in the weeds. We've seen plenty of people with tanks and BCDs who weren't divers either, you know? And then here and we have a Rockport neighbor suing the town over scuba diving nuisance. This is out of Rockport, Massachusetts. The underwater attraction that draws scuba divers to a scenic black beach in Rockport is making waves with some neighbors who live along the waterfront location. A lawsuit filed in U.S. District Court by Batch Neighbors Committee against the town is asking a federal judge to get involved. The complaint describes the scuba diving as an ongoing nuisance and it's affecting residents' quality of life. It alleges allegations of scuba divers undressing in the streets, blocking driveways and streets, clanging their air tanks, making noise outside of civilized hours, including upon neighbors' property and privacy. According to complaint, the town has opted to encourage diving at this location, unlike any other beach in town. 
it was blown up in my opinion where we're the enemy said scuba instructor mike merriman of mass diving i think it's an exaggeration of what's going on the beaches are used by pedal boaters kayakers scuba divers swimmers seemingly divers are being singled out mike merriman has been a scuba instructor for 20 years and teaches classes at a number of locations including black beach or back beach he said claims in the suit that the neighbors have seen divers engaging and actual public nudity are hard to believe. There are loose definitions of what dressing and undressing is. I've heard a report of it. anyone exposing themselves at the beach rather than being in a bathing suit, said Merriman. Merriman said he always follows the rules, include getting a permit for classes, which is required by Rockport. I and every instructor I know are careful in training new divers to be cognizant of the fact that people live here and you want to be respectful, said Merriman. Neighbors who have filed complaints claim the town is staffed with people who want to make money from the diving schools are trying to increase diver access to the beach. The town is solicitous, solicitous of the divers as a whole. Two of the members of the town Harbor Advisory Committee are divers. Oh, the shame of it. Uh, Board of Sluckmen and the police have gotten involved in trying to play Solomon to the split the baby to get two sides to work together, said Robert Visknick, who serves as the town moderator, thinking it's in everyone's best interest to get this resolved. A town spokesman said the town of Rockport has not yet been formally served with the suit, declined to offer initial comment. And we see this over and over in many locations. Uh, As a diver, I'm going to claim bias way in the advance of this. But uh, if I was a kayaker, I'd be biased. Or if I was a uh, swimmer, I'd be biased. And if I was a homeowner, I would be biased because that's what it is. Everybody's got their own interest. When you go and shell out a bunch of money for that, home on the lake you know you're i'm sure you're always a little disappointed that you can't control the waterfront because you don't actually own it this is just a bunch of people just like that they 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 have fancy homes on waterfront and they want to you know exclude people from enjoying the water that that, that they feel they own and yeah too yeah, much so sad along yeah, with yeah, it's they, not illegal i mean some areas it is illegal actually believe it or not kentucky has a whole ton of lakes down there you cannot dive I was astounded to read up on that. And we take it for granted around here that anything public waterway, you can dive unless you're, you know, of course, blocking a, blocking a, you know, access or, you know, right away or something there. But, uh, you know, a lot of areas do restrict scuba diving, but this is just a bunch of snotty homeowners that don't like it. Tough, too bad. Yeah. that And, and that's what I, I believe as well. Uh, you know, cause so, so let's just kind of run the scenario. Cause I've, I see this even here in Michigan, you go down to St. Joe. So, you know, let's take silver beach, for example. So you've got all these homes, which I would like to point out at one point in time, not that, just that long ago in the seventies, that was the slums. Uh, my wife's uh, grandmother lived down there and that was the poor neighborhood. That was for hmm. the destitute. <laughs> all right. And, uh, which now the same house that she used to live in, uh, which she didn't own, she rented, uh, is probably only, you know, a million and a half or so. Uh, yeah, I, I know I, I used to have a route that's had, a, you know, a lot of, you know, fancy homes on a lake, Madawan area. And, yeah, they're telling me that originally that was the uh, cheap side. Well, cheap side now, you haven't got a home over there that's worth, you know, less than half a mil, and most of them are worth a mil and more. But yep. There it goes. Yeah. So so what happens is most of those older homes were older homes, uh, barely room for one or two cars if you happen to have a driveway. And many uh, parts of that area would have an alleyway. Um, 
So when the summer comes down and you get the beaches going and the beaches can draw thousands of people in, uh, there's just not enough parking. So it's legal to park on the street and that's what they do. So you've got everybody who's got these driveways and they've, you know, it, you, if, if the people are polite and are parking the proper spot, even then it's still a hassle if you're one of the homeowners down there and you're coming out and then you want to invite somebody, you know, just to, to see your new fancy digs. Well, there's not parking there unless you can fit them into your driveway because the road's all full. So I'm sure a lot of this is just that they're aggravated and, uh, you know, they, they, they've formed this group back beach neighbors committee, which sounds almost like a homeowners association. So I can see a bunch of, uh, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to use the, the, the current kid slang for it. Uh, but a bunch of people who want to control everything that's going on. If this legislation does get any traction before it gets in the, you know, in the law, I hope that group of divers has one hell of a ecology dive down there. Cause we all know all the crap in the bottom of the lakes, just bring <laughs> it all up and just leave it in the roads. You know I mean? You're just, you're, you're not littering. You're just moving the litter. Okay. We took the litter from out of the lake and, well, now, now it's on your curb, you know, and I mean, all them refrigerators and all them tires and all that crap you see down there, just pull it out and lay it on some, well, okay, maybe I shouldn't be encouraging this kind of behavior, you know, this is what goes through my mind, and it's only because, you know, okay, I've had a couple Captain Morgans tonight, so, hey, that's the rum talking, that's what it is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would not encourage it, but you you may, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of things that, uh, that could end up happening. Oh, uh, but yeah. you know, when, when, when they talk about, I, I hear this a lot, people saying undressing now to me, you know, we, we, we need a little bit of definition. Are we talking public indecency and nudity? Are we talking about people changing? Yeah. You know, if, if you're wearing more clothes than most of the people on the beach, that is not undressed or, or naked. So that's what I think sometimes happens. Cause if you're that yeah, most people will wear, you know, if you're in a wetsuit and you're taking the wetsuit off after a dive, you usually have something under the wetsuit. If you're in a yeah, dry and- suit, you usually have something that looks like, you know, long johns, which is, you know, yes, a heck of a lot more material than in a, a, uh, pair of, uh, skin tight, uh, uh, nylons that we see most people wearing around town averagely now. Yeah. I mean, that's what most most divers are wearing, swim trunks or something that's sort of underneath there. I mean, yeah, you're going to have some people who uh, push the envelope. You know, I yeah. said some people diving off my boat, they're like, you know, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you can't see offshore. It's a good thing, I suppose, because it won't be part of that. But Yeah. Um, well, and then uh, Karen is pointing out that there are times where you you may change out of a swimsuit uh but if you're careful you can do that without flashing anybody yeah that's right, what large yeah. towels are for yeah you just yeah. do it in your car or something you know i mean you make it work yeah 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 but uh you know clanging air tanks i mean that seems a little like how loud <laughs> clanging air tanks i i'm trying to th- i don't want to clang my tanks anytime but I'm trying to think, even if I did, how how bad is that? I mean, that just seems to be a little yeah. nitpicking. 
It's yeah, that is. It is these people. They're they're using everything they can think of to try to you know yeah. make it so these guys can't go diving because you say that they they want it, they they think they own the water. Yeah, and, making noise you know, outside of civilized hours. Well, I I, 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 I can I can hear somebody in a a uh, Mr. Howell voice going, "Oh, lovey, they 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 got up at six in the morning." You know what savages? Well, but I'm sure a lot of these people have got money, though. When you got people, with, you know, lakefront property, they get some money, and there's probably a few more attorneys, and you know, they got tickets seriously because that, that this might get enacted. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they'll start with the scuba divers, and they'll work their way through it. So, you know, really, all the people wanting to use the water need to gang up. And maybe you just do eminent domain on the property and just say, you know what, your house would make a perfect parking lot. Yeah. Well, the city's happened. never going to. Yeah. That's, that's happened. It's, it's called eminent domain, you know? Yeah. 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 shopping mall here. Your house is a parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. You know, oh, you know the, the thing is just try and be complete and, uh, polite and considerate, but. Yeah, you know, th- there is no. I I'm say I'm pretty confident. There's no making these people happy. So can't we all get along? I I they didn't complain about fishermen, so the fishermen weren't there. Well, you know, a lot of people do complain about fishermen, though. I mean, there's some YouTube videos from the guys putting out that you know they they fish I think deliberately in snotty areas just to get oh. a rise of the people. You know, and like you can't you can't fish under a dock, and you can't do that. But they they know the law and they know the rules, and it's it's pretty entertaining stuff on YouTube about you know, <laughs> non-violating fishermen being accosted. It's pretty it's it's cool. Yeah. Well, and then the thing I think that sometimes happens with the fishermen is the uh, even the catching the fish, but you know they they have a variety of places where they can uh, dress that fish and then leave the stuff they don't want, which can also get people quite excited. People do that too. Yeah. And then this is a, another article. This one was talking about that even with the beaches closing, some bus- businesses are benefiting from the 4th of July weekend. Owners of Riviera Beach Cuba Center said it's he's turning prospective customers away. Uh, the coronavirus has impacted almost every facet of his life. Now in the Palm Beach County beaches set to close over the holiday weekend. It's another blow for many businesses, but some are actually benefiting and have school full bookings for the 4th of July weekend. Air tanks are being filled. Four Sea Scuba Centers in Riviera Beach is rebounding after struggling April and May. It's one of the few things you can do and have fun, said Skip. Uh, goodness, I'm not even trying that last name. Owner of Four Sea Scuba Centers, snorkeling and divers in the water Tuesday at Phil Forest Park. But all public and private beaches and beach parks in the county are set to close at 12.01 a.m. Friday through 11.59 p.m. Sunday. Dive boats have been booking up fast to get locals in the water this weekend. And he said he had to turn some customers away. I, we do have people coming to us, but we have often to tell them that if they don't call early enough or unless we have a cancellation, I'm sorry, but the boats are booked. Jeff Nelson, who also works at Force East Scuba Centers, agreed. We're getting a lot more people coming in, definitely getting ready because lobster mini season is coming in, Nelson said. But it's all not, it's not all good news. Walkers dive Charters can only fill boats at half capacity because social distancing requirements with coronavirus cases still climbing in Palm Beach County. Cancellations from out of town are just starting to come in Tuesday afternoon because the tourists don't want to be stuck in their hotel. 
I've had a group of 13 coming in from Tennessee, and they opted not to come down. All my boats for this weekend had been full. I've been turning away business from Thursday through Monday. Now I have space on just about every boat. So that that's kind of the crazy thing for businesses with this opening and closing. And, uh, you know, I, I have to admit that I have not gone on some diving opportunities because I'm thinking I'm going to drive all that way. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go and sit in a bar or a restaurant with a mask on and I'm just not going to enjoy it. So, you know what, I can, I can just hang around here. Well, yeah, but most of the bars and restaurants that you know are open, you you wear a mask to enter the place. You wear a mask if you're going to the bathroom. You wear a mask to leave the place. But when you're at your table, it's like business as usual. You know, I'm not sure where it is in other states, but that's what we have in Michigan. And I gather it's something similar. But you know, I know there's every state has their own rules and regulations. And you know, I I also look at it that you know these restaurants that I'm very fond of are struggling right now it's an awful lot of people whose livelihood depends upon this it's not just that restaurant it's all the trickle-down effect with the suppliers and the utilities and everything that goes involved in that restaurant i want to support them all that i can so yeah yeah my my brother-in-law he's been laid off for quite a while he works for one of the food services does all the deliveries to the restaurants and you know pretty much since january he's been out of work you know they they occasionally call him back for a little little bit of time but yeah and it's gonna be tough for me to think about it i mean i you know for restaurants to be able to be forced now to operate running at like half capacity you know so much more labor now is being devoted to sanitation and cleanliness and, and all that which is necessary but i don't know it's just uh i really really feel for the small business owners and most of your restaurants you know unless they're a large part of a franchise you know many of them are small businesses and they're they're struggling i mean and it's not just restaurants there's you know dive shops and you know dealerships and um, almost anybody works in retail uh it's you know not sure they're gonna get through this stuff here we got looking at successive waves of whether or not you believe the the virus is real you have to believe that the economic impact is real and uh, it's real scary for these folks. So personally, we're, we're getting out when we can. That's what we're doing. Yep. I've done a ton of takeout. So you know, even takeout from the local bar. I have not done, which Michigan just approved the carryout for mixed drinks. I haven't tried that yet. Hmm. I like that idea. Is there, yeah. is it like, like as in rum? Yeah. Well, what the idea is, um, uh, and this went through the Michigan uh, Senate and House, and I think the governor, if she hasn't signed it, has indicated she is going to. But the idea is that a bar, like, because uh, a lot, uh, you know, since you've been up north, all the south half of uh, Michigan, uh, bar uh, businesses with over a certain percent of alcohol sales have had to close for in-location business. Uh, right. So what they've they've proposed is that, like, uh, you know, in the town I live in, downtown Bering Springs, um, Bering, the the township can declare a certain area as okay for open containers for the carryout. So the idea is that that bar that, you know, is a nice narrow hallway where you can't social distance and, you know, they're limited capacity, you know, if you're trying to run them at 30 or 40%. Well, they could do kind of, you know, you walk in the bar, 
uh, you pick up your food, you pick up your drink, and then you go somewhere, you know, at the park or, you know, along the, you know, they got benches all along the downtown area that you'd be able to eat and drink out there. But the, the way the law is written is that it's up to the local municipalities to decide where are the areas that are going to allow that to happen. So it's, it's, it's similar to how it is in New Orleans because New Orleans, from what I understand, is that you can drink and then, you know, you get a drink at a bar, walk out in the street, continue on to the next location. You know, that, that's, that's fine. But Michigan has been, you know, if it's almost to the point to where if you are able to be seen drinking from the public areas that I have known of people being ticketed. So uh, they're, they're trying to loosen that up with, uh, during the coronavirus. You want to get around that. If you got an RV, you just park mm-hmm. down the beach. Yeah. And bring your own beer, your own wine. We, we, we've been loving that. You go back to the cooler, you know? Yeah. We were yep. up at white, we were up at Whitefish point, you know, and I won't say how, how close to the museum there, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our RVs are awesome that way. Also, the mm-hmm. other thing is that is the cozies will help you. Because, uh, and it depends on who stops and asks you, as long as, you know, something is not visible, that, that, that changes the intent, you know, so. Well, and, you know, and most of the state parks around here, they, you know, they, they do permit alcohol. Of course, if you're allowed, if you're, you know, using it, they're going to throw you out. Yep. There are a few that have posted, no, majority of them do permit so Michigan has added that law, which is something that's uh, really unique for Michigan. So hopefully it gets uh, treated respectfully in that. Uh, I think it's kind of a test. I think they want to keep it going at least for this year, and it could be something that remains permanent. So that could be that could be interesting if done well. It could also be done to a complete mess. but Yeah, I'm sure there'll be people who will abuse it too. So Yeah. And, and speaking of that thing, we're, we just got our first uh, – pot shot in the uh, area here so uh recreational marijuana so that's down in downtown buchanan just opened that up uh, you just got your first one come out to bangor man we have a 420 festival out there so <laughs> well, the, the, well we're kind of we're kind of worried about it. it's like down the street from us i don't know i mean we don't know are these dispensaries and growing facilities what's that going to do your property values because um, you know, Bangor Bloomingdale area out here, uh, it's like all blueberry fields and has been for, you know, generations. Well, apparently pot grows really well where blueberries grow. So they're <laughs> all over the place. They're pulling up the blueberries and, and they're planting pot, you know, you're going out. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I mean, we got them, I mean, all over our area now. And I mean, the, the biggest competition in, in town, Bangor now, it's, you know, the, the, the competing dispensaries, you know, <laughs> it's wow. just like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, lo, lo, love it or like it or leave it. I mean, it's part of the future in the economy. So yeah. Um, hey, uh, people, Karen's... People, people are working. So yeah. Yeah. Karen's saying Arlington township is approving anyone who applies. I would say Berrien County, I think Bent Harbor has approved it. Buchanan has been very selective because they've given a lot of control to the townships on whether they want to allow it in. And there's a lot of townships who have said they're not allowing it in as the first wave, but they're leaving it open that they may open it up. So they're just telling everybody this is a no for now, but not forever. 
because they don't want to be the one that starts it up and then just has everything all go to crap. So that's what everybody's afraid of. But all these municipalities are looking for the tax money. So if your municipalities open it up, yeah, Karen says they're actually seeking out growers, but it's $5,000 to apply. Yeah. I believe it. You know, she's running the money. I mean, it's like we're seeing it all over the place. I mean, uh, Van Buren County, but Arlington Township, yeah, that's the township I live in. You know, <laughs> it's just yeah. you know, all up and down 28th Avenue. It's uh, growing operations. And, you know, like Joe Kovacs blueberries has been a staple in Van Buren County for, you know, probably 50 years. And now they got a growing operation going on there, you know, and it's just everywhere, you know, and, you know, uh, yeah. Like it, love it, or leave it. It's here, you know. So, and a, a lot of it's not bad for the economy. I mean, I guess they tax the snot out of the stuff, and you know, it provides jobs. So, uh, hey, there it is. Well, see, what I'm waiting is is out by me. I would say within ten miles of my house, there's nine wineries. So, I'll know that things have really changed when with those nine wineries is that there's fifteen. Uh, tasting rooms for marijuana. Yeah. That 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 that's when we know it's 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 turned the corner. Heck, yeah. after COVID, everybody's gonna be looking for a way to get some money. Yep. Or you're gonna gonna just be smoking it because you don't you don't want to care about how bad every everything is. Oh. Yeah, I I happen to work a job where they aggressively drug test. So, you know, there's even if it's legal. Was- I, I work a job where I wish they would drug test. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, oh, I've, I've been forbidden to talk about my job with my employer. In fact, I've been forbidden to use any sort of profanity in public media because of my employer. Well, they piss on that. Fuck that. <laughs> Go ahead and delete what you want here. I've been told I can't swear. I cannot swear publicly. Or on, on social media because it might get traced back to my employer. Well, fuck that. Yeah. So, so, so your your name is now Ed Smith, and we have no, no idea where you work. It, no, <laughs> you, you you guys know who I am, but I don't mention my employer. And uh, you guys know some some of you guys know what I do, you know. But uh, yeah, we've told we cannot uh, do anything. We can't talk politics <laughs> on our Facebook or social media, you know. So yeah. all kinds of stuff here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, I bait you, but uh, we, we gotta get through the show. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, and bait me. No, no, I, I, no. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say what I want to say. Hey, this is not an FCC regulated <laughs> program here. You know, fuck that. You know, go. go dare One do of our four do, listeners is gonna turn you in. <laughs> yeah, and, and all four of them know where I work too. So, <laughs> go ahead, do it. You know, I don't care. It's like, man. I mean, well, fun. I just got married. My wife's got a job. No, but seriously. <laughs> oh, well, that's the thing. I look at it. Uh, you know, my, my wife's got the better medical insurance. So I've always said that if uh, one of us needed to go, because I mean, actually, even though uh, my income is a little bit more than hers, that that medical insurance that she's got is really nice. It's, oh, yeah. You know, oh, it yeah. saved us a ton of money. Yeah, you you probably got some pretty good as well. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about the Los Angeles Times. Uh, they, they've got a, an article, Underwater Mystery. Did a diver find a Navy plane that crashed in 1943 off San Diego? 
uh, let's see. You'll skip one there, I think. But all right. Yeah, I'm. 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 Which Which one did I miss? One before this, but I'm. I'm finally linked to pasty. Okay. Uh, he said, uh, in October, he and a diving buddy, Dan Jackson, were out on uh, Marissa, a charter boat operated by Laura Myers, in a spot about four miles off the coast. Whenever the bottom was almost 200 feet beyond the safe reach of recreational compressed air tanks, they had to use mixed gas instead, so-called technical diving that requires decompression stops on the way up. It was dark, too, that far down. Statler approached the wreck with a flashlight in hand. The first thing he saw didn't make any sense. He was expecting a barge. But why would a barge have a rubber tire on a metal rim? He then saw a hydraulic arm and a landing gear and a nine-cylinder radial engine with two propeller blades nearby. It wasn't a shipwreck. It was an airplane. San Diego Naval Aviation go way back in 1911 and flying school run by Glenn Curtis of uh, Corando's Northern Island. Uh, he offered to instruct pilots for free and success of the training convinced admirals that planes had a future in the service. They eventually shifted their attention to carrier-led force, bashing the first flat top, the Langley, out there in 1922. By the time the United States entered World War II, after December 7, 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor, North Island had cemented its place as a preeminent spot in the North Coast for Navy flyers. Thousands of pilots trained at what was then known as the Naval Air Station San Diego before shipping off overseas combat. They trained the seaplanes, such as the... PBY Catalina, fighters like the Hellcat, the dive bombers like the SBD Dauntless. The SBD stood for Scout Bomber Douglas, but air crews joked that it stood by slow but deadly, and deadly it was. In June 1942, the Battle of Midway, Dauntless bombers flying off American aircraft wrecked four Japanese carriers and a cruiser. For the first half of the war in the Pacific, the Dauntless was the most effective American weapon system, said Carl Zinghem. Historian for the USS Midway, the carrier-turned-museum in San Diego that's named for the battle that helped change the direction of the war. Aircraft designers kept making improvements to Dauntless, longer flight range, better armament. The older planes got rotated back to the U.S. to be used for training. Some of them wound up in San Diego. Training wasn't as dangerous as aerial combat, but still had its risks. The planes were worn out, replacement parts less plentiful, and pilots much less experienced. About 15,000 aviators were killed in stateside training accidents during the war. Now, that is a huge amount. 15,000 people were killed in training accidents. About 2,400 of them still listed as missing by the Federal Defense POW-MIA Accounting Agency. On August 24, 1943, Captain William Rizal Parks, Jr., radio man Harold, uh, Richard Harold Moore, climbed into the SBD-3 Dauntless at NAS San Diego. Parks was from New Orleans, had been flying for about a year. Moore had been married earlier that year to his hometown in Bloomington, Illinois. His wife had just joined him in San Diego. Their job was to stream a sleeve to a nylon tube that would be used by gunners and other planes for target practice. Yow! <laughs> you, you hope they're somewhat accurate. <laughs> about 10.30 a.m., they're 2,000 feet up off the San Diego. They released their target tube. Witnesses saw the plane spin to the right and then spin to the left and then hit the water, burst in the flames, and sank. When the crash boat arrived, it found debris in the water, an oxygen bottle, three rolled up singed towing tubes, and two gloves. Surfacing from his dive last October, Statler wondered what kind of airplane he'd found. 
It was mostly in pieces, but you could make out a fuselage upside down in the sand. There was a winch on the bottom with a piece of steel cable still attached. The wings had unusual air brakes, perforated flaps attached along the back edge. He suspected it was from World War II because of the radial engine. They were placed on later planes and started researching. He could find only one plane that had a motor and those flaps, the Dauntless. But which Dauntless? There are a lot of planes out there, said Taras Lysenko, Chicago businessman of A&T Recovery, who's pulled dozens of World War II wrecks out of Lake Michigan and other places, including the SB2C4 Helldiver plucked from the bottom of Lower Ate Res- Reservoir in 2010. Uh, Tara said most of them are in bad shape. And from knowing his voice, I can hear him say that. Statler learned from a friend that some World War II records and those they found in the entry described in August 24th, 1943, ca- crash of the Dauntless. Right plane, right place, he said. The records indicated ID number for the plane, which enabled him to track down the accident report. It described how the Dauntless was towing a target tube that day. Another piece that pu- uh, puzzle fell into place. Towing would explain the winch in the bottom of the wreckage. Something else became clear to Statler from the records. Two men had died in the crash. Their bodies were never recovered. He had gone looking for the wreck and may have found a gravesite too. He contacted the Naval History and Heritage Command in Washington, which oversees sunken military craft, and sent the documents he found along with the photos of the wreckage. R.S. Nalen, the head of the underwater archaeology for the agency, said in a letter last month that Statler's research proves strong evidence the identity of the plane, but said further investigation is needed to confirm it. He thanked the divers for documenting the site without disturbing it. U.S. Navy considers these records to be hallowed sites. Nalen wrote, representatives of the courage and sacrifice U.S. Navy sailors in a pivotal point in our nation's history. What happens next is unclear. Requests for comment from the History and Heritage Command said the Defense POW MIA accounting agency were not returned. There's a large backlog of cases to investigate. More than 72,500 servicemen in World War II are listed as missing worldwide. Statler's future is clear. There are more wrecks out there, he said, and more mysteries to solve. I I wonder what got them in contact with Taurus. I mean, other than he's a great resource of information. uh, Well, they probably, anybody who researched, uh, you know, recovering airplanes or he does have a lot of connections out there. So I wouldn't be surprised he came up with no search results. And he's not afraid to talk. So, he, you know, <laughs> you, you, you never quite know what he's thinking except for he tells you. Yeah, we, we, we've had him on the program. Well, you know what episode yeah. that was? Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll have to look it up. But he's been yeah. on and then he's due to come back on. Uh, he, he's, he said he'd like to come on. and uh, we. I mean, the, 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 the guy does tell some stories. Yep. And he talks about his interaction with government bureaucrats, which is a special experience all in itself. Yeah. In election year, that'd be good to have him on. We need him in about October. That'd be good. Like a pre-election, a pre-election discussion. Yeah. yeah he, he's not shy about telling you what's on his mind. No. And he's, and he's usually right. <laughs> That's the thing. It's it's easy to be allowed when you when you're correct. Oh, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> he's a, he's eight, an eight. He's he's been on a number of uh, different programs and featured in numerous articles. Uh, if you have a chance to see him speak, take a listen to him. Uh, the guy has some fascinating stories. He's 
he has permission to uh, pull the number a number of artifacts from these planes, which he will will uh, share with the, the listeners of his of his programs. Um, doing it for a good cause, it's uh, many people benefit out of this. So uh, get a chance to take a listen to his programs. I think I found the article that I missed. Is this the Roman treasure shipwreck? Was that the one I, I glossed over? Yeah, I think I showed the link. I think it too. was. I. Yep. 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 So thousands of ancient artifacts from Rosen, Rosen, from Rosen here. I need to have another drink. Thousands of ancient artifacts from Roman, Roman treasure to shipwreck bounty to be revealed by X-rays, the Heritage Watchdog Historic England is to install a high-resolution scanning equipment to enhance analysis of archaeological finds. Thousands of artifacts encased in centuries of concrete-like deposits ranging from Roman antiquity to the contents of the 280-year-old shipwreck are having their secrets revealed by state-of-the-art X-ray system. Heritage Watchdog Historic England is to install the high-resolution scanning equipment at its research laboratories in Hampshire to enhance analysis of archaeological finds have been locked in a thick layer of surrounding and corroded material while buried and submerged. The technology offers the opportunity for scientists and archaeologists to peer for the first time into the contents of so-called concretions, which contain artifacts that are too delicate to be broken out of castings acquired over centuries of decay. Uh, these items include artifacts recovered from the wreck of the Ruswitschk, a... Uh, which I pronounced wrong, a cargo ship owned by the Dutch East India Company, which sank in notoriously treacherous waters of the English Channel off Kent Coast in 1740. Hundreds of items ranging from smuggled silver coins to chest of corroded thimbles were returned to the surface as part of the Anglo-Dutch Maritime Archaeological Project in 2017, and work is ongoing to analyze the items of the historic England's laboratory in Fort Cumberland, a Napoleonic-era bastion and former military base in Portsmouth. The X-ray equipment was being acquired with a 150,000-pound grant from the Wolfson Foundation, a charity funding scientific and cultural research, allow archaeologists to scan concretions to see what they contain, decide the best way to conserve their contents. Walk-in facility, Duncan Wilson, chief executive, Historical England, said the generous investment will place Historic England at the forefront of heritage X. Radiography for many years to come with this new technology. We'll be able to analyze, conserve, and better understand many more objects recovered from historic shipwrecks and excavated from archaeological sites. The equipment consists of a advanced, heavy-powered, movable X-ray tube housed in a walk-in facility that can accommodate large and small objects, as well as artifacts like the concretions from the Rushwick, which had been at the start of the voyage in the modern-day Indonesia, Technology be used to for fresh analysis of Roman antiquities to penetrate the built-up dust and debris around the object. Yeah, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, I wonder if Ma Mallory uh, will have the opportunity to take advantage of this because I understand she's probably in that neck of the woods. Of course, I, I'm I'm doing the typical American thing, which you know, England's like an island, so how big can it be? Last I checked. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows everybody, isn't that how it works? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Send your hate mail to the show at scubaobsessed.com. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, that's cool. I, I, the thimbles, I thought, was a pretty impressive photo. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, 
they can you know, remove some artifacts from concretions. Yeah. Uh, it's actually it's what anything which is not native to being in the bottom of in salt water ends up getting concretions around, like the, yeah. the Widya, which yeah. was I... a pirate ship off of uh, Cape Cod. You know, like everything, even the cannons were like in concretions. Yeah. And they're able to get the stuff out, but it's not easy. Yeah. Well, and the thing with the concretions is how you treat it depends on what's in it. You know, if you know that you've got bronze or brass or silver, uh, you know, you can you can dissolve a lot of the concretions away. Uh, and you can use other techniques. I mean, sometimes they'll pick at it or, you know, grind at it, similar to what they do for, you know, dinosaur fossils. It just takes, a you know, a little bit of care. But if you're trying to preserve, you know, if you think inside that concretion something a little bit more uh, disposable, then, uh, you know, the the advantage of this is that with it, if it's readily available, you've got the concretions. You go scan it, and then you're able to. It's able to help you to determine what is going to be your approach from removing the concretions. Do you want to? Right. And then, you know, do you, can you break it into multiple pieces to make it quicker or easier? I mean, there's, it just gives them an extra tool. So that's well, yeah, great. It's, I, it's not like you're going to be able to successfully remove a, a thimble out of there, but just the article implied that. Uh, something concretions was there forever like no actually you can't no. get stuff out no it's just it's you just reverse the process but uh, i mean like if, i mean an example would be like the hunley uh now you can you can just kind of put it in a tank and put the right you know uh liquid in there and you know i mean sometimes a little bit of uh, like an elect reverse electrolysis type process and yep. you can start yep. dissolving that away uh so but very cool. I'm yeah. I'm glad that they do it and nice nice feature to be able to take advantage of. And this one, I think actually Derek sent this one to us. Ancient Aboriginal underwater archaeological site discovered, and it's a new frontier for study. This one is out of Australia. Uh, scientists discovered Australia's first ever ancient Aboriginal underwater archaeological sites settled in the seabed for a thousand years hidden relics including hundreds of stone tools grinding stones have been found in two sites off western australia's remote uh pilbara region close up to burrup peninsula which is renowned for its ancient rock engravings for me this is the find of a lifetime said lead archaeologist associate professor jonathan benjamin from flinders university i'm absolutely thrilled that we went out looking for something we didn't know if we could find or not we have actually really succeeded. Australia's landmass used to be much larger, almost a third bigger before sea levels rose and drowned the landscape between 7,000 and 18,000 years ago after the last ice age. Sea levels have risen over 130 meters during that time, sinking the country's landmass by 2 million square kilometers and handing it to the sea. Scientific information we can gain from these sites has to rewrite Australian histories, Dr. Benjamin said. The Australian Cultural Association described their search titled The Deep History of Sea County as highly significant. I think it's a significant advance in understanding a huge cultural landscape around the coast of Australia, Association spokesman Professor Peter Vey said. He said the confirmation that sites exist would likely lead to further research in other locations. I would not be surprised if traditional owner corporations and researchers look for some of their sea countries throughout the areas like Northern Great Barrier Reef, 
Shark Bay and possibly southwest of WA to try and match up some of those oral traditions and histories people have of the sea encroaching. Australia's oldest underwater archaeology discoveries of the 269 artifacts in Cape no goodness. Blurgeries? <laughs> Sorry. 8,500-year-old underwater freshwater spring and flying foam passenger off Dampier were published today in the Open Access Journal of PLOS Online. And this goes on for quite a while, so you're going to want to take a look at the article. And I got some photos, half of which are showing up for me, some are not. Well, this diver a little bit different setup and some dive gear than what I'm used to seeing around here. Got a handle in that tank with a a weight attached right to the uh, strap. That's uh, just must be something some people do. It takes to get your trim right. Yeah. Yeah, put your weight where it's useful. Yeah. So cool. I'm glad to see that they've uh, been able to uh, do that. And uh, some of the uh, indigenous people down there, in Australia are pretty excited to be able to find this. Yeah, there's you know quite a bit of uh, you know areas that used to be above water which are now submerged in an area they call Doggerland. Great Britain yeah. well, that they've like been pulling yeah, up uh, and, acid on skulls and all kinds of bones and things out there off the bottom of the of the ocean. Well, and th- and this is pretty common. Uh, you know, most cultures, you know, your your best advantage is to be near the water. I mean, it can be a food source. It can be transportation. Uh, you know, it's convenient. So as water levels rise, you just, it just absorbs whatever was there. So, you know, what you're seeing now, especially, I mean, I, I haven't, I'm not familiar with this number, what they said, 150 meters? risen 130 meters so you know about 400 feet uh well you know stuff has you know it's changed such medicine i mean here we are at mm-hmm. we're here at Mackinac island we have uh all these areas which are you know there's about 100, 100 feet above sea level above lake michigan well like these are like uh, excuse me we have a number of these formations that are upwards of 100 feet above Lake Huron, which were clearly created by water. These uh, Rekia caverns all over the place. Uh, you know, so you can see here, evidence of it here in the Great Lakes, where water levels were, you know, upwards of 100 feet higher than they are today. Yeah. Now, we see that kind of stuff all over the world, where it's, things have changed dramatically. Uh, article in National Geographic not that long ago, maybe about two years ago, where they believe they had actually found uh, Cleopatra's tomb and Cleopatra's seven, the one from the uh, one that was with Caesar and had all the, the notoriety. Yep. You know, there actually were, were six other, quite a few Cleopatras on because she, she was number seven. But uh, mm-hmm. the tomb depicted in the movie and all, well, that's actually underwater now, okay? Yeah, that part of Alexandria is underwater. There's just so much, well, so many areas of the Mediterranean find that have, you know, sunken cities and all kinds of you know, mystery about them. That's all over the world as we were, they find evidence of changing sea levels. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think that does it for Scuba News. We've caught up with, we ran through two weeks of, of that information. So I, I, I see the diehards haven't left yet. Uh, like to thank everybody who's been downloading and listening to the program. Uh, hopefully everybody's faring through these uh, COVID times in that you're staying healthy and being able to dodge it. And, uh, you know, we, we have lost quite a bit of support during this point. So if you are in the means and able to help out the program, we'd certainly appreciate it. You can go to www.scubaobsessed.com, click on to our Patreon link, and $3 or more gets you early access to show notes like this. Uh, you, you get them before the show uh, starts to record, and uh, you know everybody's welcome to come into the chat room. Uh, but uh, you know, Patreons get that show notes, and it gives them an idea of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed. You know, the show at Scuba Obsessed. Um, and, and if I don't get back to you within a week, it, <coughs> excuse me, it means I missed you. So uh, just go ahead on, and send it again. It's because he's that? been on diving. It's because yeah. he's been on diving. Hey, I know you've been on diving. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm doing better this year, but not as good. I was I was actually going to try. We had a Thursday, thir- uh, Thursday, Thursday. That was Tankful the old one. Tuesday. Tank, Tankful, Tankful Tuesday dive. That looked like it was pretty well attended. Uh, Karen, I think, uh, got a dive in. I think they, they did. Uh, was it the Scornia this week, Karen? Uh, they were able to get out and do some diving. That, that's been a pretty active group the last yep. several yep. weeks. And that was your uh, vice president, <laughs> the Mudfield, to put that together there, who's uh, currently on hiatus. But, uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Glad yeah, it's coming together there. Yeah, I, I, she, I, I, think, I think she went someplace north, too, kind of like you. Yeah, I, I will return your mud club by to you, you know, when when I'm done with her. But it, it, it may be a while. So. Yeah, I'm, you're gonna be dragging the lake of my body here pretty soon. Keep talking like this. Yeah, here, but yeah. yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, I said anyway, river, river this week to Scornia last week. Okay, so it was the river dive. Duh. Cool. I I I think I I did. We get a golf ball. Was an official dive this week. Yeah, Matt Mac had the the sniffle, so he's not here to give us a report. But I believe he was he was out there as well. Yeah, we did a tankful Tuesday dive up here as well. When you guys were diving uh-huh. down there, we did we dove a an old pier up here. There's a oh about forty minutes northwest of Marquette is a Big Bay, and uh, Big Bay actually uh, was owned by Henry Ford at one time. And he actually built built a big whole lake up here and really did a lot of work up here. But there's this huge pier out of Big Bay that you can dive. It's really, really cool. Uh, you can actually see it on Google Earth. It's If you look at Big Bay on Google Earth and you look at Squaw Beach and you look at the, uh, the uh, western part of it, um, there's this massive wooden pier that's out there. <coughs> Excuse me. Unfortunately, we found that a good sized hunk of it was uh, buried in the sand this year, but still very worthwhile dive. You have these large oaken timbers going everywhere, and there's artifacts and pieces of steam engines and oh, boxes of nails and stuff up there. And that was our tankful Tuesday dive. Took lots of video too. Had a pretty good. Time. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we're we're uh, you know halfway through the year. Actually, probably a little past that, aren't we? 
Got to do the no, math. We're yeah. not. No, 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 we're not because all the opening stuff got pushed back because of the COVID. So it's a um, delay. So we're, we're it's, it's we a, can right. It's a delay. We bank year. it. Right. Exactly. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not giving up. You know, six weeks of my summer for COVID. You know. I mean, <laughs> that just means we're going to be diving in October. Too bad. So sad. We're going diving. Yep. Yeah. Ah, yeah, and Karen, Karen's got it, posted a picture of her on the way to Havana. I knew I saw everybody diving. Yeah, they got they got out in the Havana, and I think I saw Bob on the on the Rockaway as well. Glad so you a guys lot, are using those buoys. Yep. So those uh those those buoys in the Southwest Michigan Underwater Preserve are getting put to good use, and for what I understand is they're still out there, which is which is great as well. <laughs> that's what we want. Well, to that's see. good to know because I'm not. That's good to know because I don't want to come back down there and go, go, go fetch them for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take care of those buoys there. Come on. Be good with them. Yeah. We, we, we've been, you know, knock on wood. We're due for a storm. We're, we're getting a little dry. You know, the, the, the corn out by me is starting to curl a little bit. And uh, we keep getting teased that rain's going to be coming. So uh, we had a wet spring, but uh, this uh, last half of June and beginning of July has been a little dry. But we don't talk too loud because it doesn't take much to flip that and change right. it all. A little, and, little bit uh, of murky coming in there, yeah, right. Yeah, and and, yeah, yeah. and yeah. last week we were talking and it sounded like the they could see the uh, outtake there in Niles. Uh, so the uh, Mac was thinking that the water was going to be a, a little bit slower, So which I think was what prompted the uh, Tankful Tuesdays in the river. Good. Good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we we haven't had. We're supposed to get a fair amount of rain tomorrow. Actually, we've been so fortunate up here that we keep seeing rain in the forecast, but it just doesn't happen. Oh, and I, I, we we had planned for this trip like so many, you know, some, some down days. We bought a bunch of DVDs and stuff to read and all that. And it's like every day, been diving, 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 diving. So, how's it been to get air? I know that you had a couple posts where there are some shops that. You were expecting to be able to get air and you couldn't, but on average, is it has air been pretty pl- plentiful for you? Oh well, there's been lots and lots of air. The problem is getting it up to up to a few thousand psi in a tank. You know, we got plenty of air. You know, you guys listen to me talk all the time. Am I ever short on air? But uh, anyway, yeah. um, as far as getting air for our tanks, uh, it it's been challenging. You no, know? I mean, I'm not gonna run anybody down the podcast, but um, I certainly could. You know, uh, you know, I there's one outfit which uh, I'm not going to mention and give the name, but uh, I even called them two weeks before we came up just to confirm they were running here because I heard they might or might not be, and they told me they are. And oops, oh yeah, hey, you're you're here. Nice to see you made it here, but oh no, we're not running here. Your station will be up until you don't know when. You know. So uh, do do you think that was a case of where they thought that they would have air and then for whatever reason just didn't? I don't know. I mean, it's it's an older couple running that air station. And, you know, they can be kind of high maintenance and everything. I, the the air station, not, not old couples. No, I wasn't, nothing about old couples. I was talking the air station. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't go sending me the hate. I, 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 I resemble that remark, so, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, on the podcast, I'm not going to run down and all that, but I'll say there's, we're, we're pretty let down by, by that group there. But, uh, yeah. In, in, in Marquette, you can get air fills, the uh, firehouse on um, 
Third Street. Ah. We'll fill your tanks. But they only do yolk. They don't do din. And nearly all of our tanks oh. are din, but a few of them had, had pro valves, so we could swap the fittings around. And get them oh, filled. okay. I, I okay. hadn't. I didn't realize that. Uh, I guess I should ask our fireman friends what they use. But you know, that's a, that's always a good resource if you can bribe a fire department because they they have the SCBA tanks that they use for rescue, and then they've got their own dive teams which you would use scuba. Yeah, but but good luck they with uh, good luck with that yeah. though. You know, liability. Yeah, they, they won't do it. You know, I mean, it's yeah. special arrangement in Marquette with the uh, the township office where they will fill your tanks. And they're real good about it, and they are real nice folks, and they, they had some special precautions because of COVID. It was a deal we had to uh, call on the phone and pay the credit card and then, like, drop the tanks off at the door and call them until the tanks were there, and they, they'd take them back, and they'd fill them up for us. We'd come back in a few hours kind of thing. No no, no fills while you wait kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know? Um, yeah. Then, see, the, the, here in uh, at the Straits, um, you know, air is available, but you kind of gotta gotta know somebody right right now to get air. And okay. I, that the uh, talking to Jim about that because the uh, Moy Club I know has, has some, some dives up here. So then Jim's aware of how, about how we get air up here. Tonight, so that should be an issue that's coming up for that. Yeah, yeah, because I, uh, I think the the shop that the Mud Club had typically used up there uh, in Sheboygan uh, is no longer available. They I think they yeah they unfortunately kinda... uh, yeah the one in Sheboygan they um, lost their lease and they decided not to go through the hassle of re- relocating and that's no longer around. Uh, there is uh, Straight Scuba that is um, I believe Larry, Larry McElroy's charter business, but he's not running this year from what I understand. But uh, you know you you can you can get fills here, but you got to know who to call and it's kind of complicated. I don't want to put the guy's phone number on the. Uh, on the podcast, but uh, yeah. air can be added up here, but you got to arrange in advance kind of thing. So uh, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at his business card now. I wonder if his website's up or not, because that may be helpful. Well, you know, it was a matter of just going to be a bad season with the COVID and everything, and they're just not open right now. Um, and Karen has asked about nitrox, and I don't think nitrox is going to be an option to straights. Uh, I, I can put you guys in touch with the uh, guy who does tanks up here, but so I'm not going to put it on the podcast. His wife would come find me, and they wouldn't find my body, kind of. So, but uh, air's been a challenge, but air's been uh, has been obtainable. It is not un- unobtainable. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I hope we're not getting to, uh, you know, peak low air, which would drive uh, the requirement that everybody buys their own. Uh, gas-powered uh, filler station, and then you just tow it behind you up there. Yeah, I know in your perspective, but I don't think the gas is going to be so I don't think it's the option. You can So that's an option. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just uh, tried the website for the Straight Scuba, and it's a property real estate company right now. <laughs> so I don't even know if that's even from Japan. Why would you buy Straight Scuba and then link it to a a, a property search 
website. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, got some ideas, yeah. but closing. Yeah. Know. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that makes the most sense. Is uh, you know, you know, Karen, get with Jim. You know, he may have some some arrangements made, uh, but you know, it probably wouldn't hurt. I mean, typically, whenever I travel, I, I fill everything up and uh, go with as much as I can. But I've I've done the same thing where I've gotten up north, and uh, the the shop that was up there that was filling, you know, their their last. You know, they closed at 1 p.m. Saturday. Well, if you came up just for the weekend, you know, you're not done filling, you know, emptying your tanks you brought up with you by that time. So it it can be a challenge. Yep. So I'm I'm not sure how it will come up. Sometimes the uh, when Kevin breaks up like he is right now, it it comes through in the recording. So we'll we'll hope that is. But uh, if not, then uh, I'm sure what he's saying is. Support your local dive centers and also your librarians. I think we are to that time of the show. Are you ready? So I'm, th- this one's going to be pretty bad. Uh, ho- hopefully everybody can survive it. So here we go. A couple lived in the ocean and used to watch the beach, the beach a lot. One summer they noticed a girl who was at the beach pretty much every day. She wasn't unusual was her the travel bag she carried, except for one thing. She would approach people who were sitting on the big plants around and speak to them. Generally, the people would respond negatively and she would wander off, but occasionally someone would nod and there'd be a quick exchange of money for something she carried in her bag. The couple assumed she was selling drugs and debated calling the cops, but since they didn't know for sure, they just could to watch her. After a couple of weeks, his wife asked, Honey, have you noticed that she only goes up to people with boom boxes or radios or other electronic devices he hadn't any so she said tomorrow i want you to travel with a towel in our big radio and go lie out in the beach find out what she's really doing well the plan without a hitch is almost hopping on with anticipation she saw the girl and leave the man walked the beach and met his wife on the road she's selling drugs she excitedly um not he said enjoying the this probably more than he should have well, then what is it? asked his wife. The man grinned and said, her name is Sally and she's selling batteries. Batteries, cried the wife. Yes, he replied. Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Yeah, I think we lost everybody on that one. So maybe we'll do another one. So it's, uh, we'll, we'll have a, maybe a couple. So uh, due to COVID-19, this is the first year I could not go to Australia for my summer vacation. Otherwise, I didn't go because it was lack of money. Okay. A young college student wanting to earn some extra money for the summer decided to hire herself as a handy woman. She started canvassing well-to-do neighborhoods and went from the front door to the first house and asked the owner if he had any odd jobs for her to do. Well, I guess I could use somebody to paint my porch, she said. How much will you charge me? Delighted, the girl quickly responded, how about $50? The man agreed and told her that the paintbrushes and everything she would need were in the garage. The man's wife, hearing the conversation, said to her husband, does she realize our porch goes all the way around the house? He responded, that's a bit cynical, isn't it? The wife replied, you're right. I'm guessing I'm starting to believe all these dumb millennial jokes we've been getting by email lately. Later that day, the blonde teenager came to the door collecting the money. You finished already? The startled husband asked. Oh, yes, she replied. I even had paint left over, so I gave it two coats. 
and Preston Mann reached in his pocket for the $50 and handed her a $10 tip. And by the way, the teenager added, it's not a porch, it's a Lexus. Uh, I guess that one uh, got approval from the, the chat room. So we'll end it while we're ahead. On that note, go out there and get wet. And as Mac would say, dive safe.